Thank you for joining us here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the people and politics shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz Marston. So our beloved Jeff Simmons, my usual co-host, is out today. Unfortunately, he's over at Yankee Stadium for the Damon Runyon Cancer Foundation's 5K to raise money to support cancer research. So thank you, Jeff, for your good work there. And I want to assure you that, as always, Jeff is lining up more great guests for our future shows. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the hour. Uh, Speaking of raising money for good causes, of course, that reminds me to remind you that WBAI is listener-supported, non-corporate radio, and we can only have these conversations with your help. So please go to WBAI.org today to support free speech radio by giving generously to the Tower Fund. Every dollar you give helps us pay the rent on our tower and helps keep us on the air. That's WBAI.org. And remember, your contribution to WBAI is tax deductible. So do something good for independent media and for your wallet. Get a tax write-off. Give to WBAI today and thanks. So lots in the news this week, as always. Of course, many of us New Yorkers, people all over the country are keeping an eye on the devastation caused by Hurricane Ian in Florida. It's being called a 500-year storm, massive flooding, destruction people stranded. And so uh, our thoughts go out to the people there. Of course, there is a big nexus between New York and Florida. I have family there. Maybe you have Florida uh, relatives and friends there too, keeping an eye on that. And lots of other stuff going on in the news. But, you know, of course, we always try to focus on one thing and really look into it, talk about it. And we're going to do that today here on Driving Forces as always. So, you know, there are always so many things that are exciting about New York and being a New Yorker, even in tough times. And we certainly have gone through some tough times in the past couple of years with the pandemic, with the economy, with lots of things going on. And, you know, the city has an energy. It has a life to it. And, you know, at the same time, the city sometimes gets a bad rap, mainly from outsiders, I would say, but also sometimes, and fairly enough, from New Yorkers themselves. It's too crowded. It's too expensive. It's dangerous. There's crime. You know the whole list. So that's to say there are many, many wonderful things about New York, but here's something that isn't. Seeing rats on the sidewalk, in the parks, in the trash, or anywhere you don't want or expect them to be. And according to some estimates, uh, probably two million rats might live in New York City. Uh, not long ago, somebody shared with us a short video of a hawk diving into a garbage bin near a park, I believe Riverside Park, to catch a rat. So rats have really been part of human uh, existence, human society, maybe since time immemorial. They were part of the plague times. They've been a scourge of ships and sewers. They've been the subject of books, movies. They're wily, they're hardy, they're hard to control. And today they're the subject of our program. So we're going to get right into it. Joining me now to talk about this is Peter Senzamichi. He is a reporter for Brooklyn Patch, where he reports on neighborhoods in central Brooklyn. He's previously worked with the Daily News, my alma mater, the Brian Lehrer Show, and the nonprofit newsroom, The City. Without further ado, Peter, welcome to WBAI. Hey, Celeste. Thanks for having me on. 
Really appreciate it. So I, I wanted to have you on the program because I read this great story that you wrote recently for Patch uh, about the rat problem in New York. And I think that everybody's listening to this program must have seen rats maybe in the trash or in the park or on the sidewalk or, you know, again, anywhere where you don't want them to be. And the city has spent years and years and who knows how much money, maybe you do, uh, trying to deal with it. And um, you wrote this story. You opened up with this flashback, quite vivid, uh, to 2019. Eric Adams was still the borough president of Brooklyn. And he was talking about the, the promise and the efficacy of this certain method of trapping rats in Brooklyn. So for anybody who might have missed that story, tell us what you were describing there. Sure. So it was a uh, kind of now infamous press conference uh, held outside Borough Hall where Eric Adams presented uh, these plastic buckets, these Italian-made buckets uh, that he said could hold up to 90 dead rats each. Um, The bucket is a uh, kind of modern and fancy version of a system that farmers used for a long time, which is basically you kind of trick the rat to walk up a plank and then fall into the water and uh, drown. Um, these buckets are a little bit more humane um, and claim to knock the rat out prior to the drowning. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of like a modern take on a, on a long-held uh, solution. The problem is... Um, in a city, especially in neighborhoods and blocks that have intense rat infestations, um, there's just not really uh, any way to kill them at a, uh, at, at a scale and fast enough to really deal with the problem. So if you have a single building that has a rat infestation, um, you know, maybe poison, maybe a bucket, you know, can help. But in uh, one of the neighborhood I kind of focus on in Prospect Heights, you know, they've had a really bad rat problem for years. And, you know, I used to live in that, down near there, and every time I walked on this particular block, I'd see at least one rat every time, sometimes, you know, several. And it was really shocking because I lived a few blocks away, and I never saw a rat on my block. Um, and some experts I've spoken to estimate that there could be, like, hundreds of thousands of rats living on that block. So, you know, that's a lot of rat buckets. Um you know, to, to fit them all in. So the, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, a, yeah, it was a presentation of these buckets, and he said that he wanted to bring it to a city-level scale, the distribution and use of them. Um, and afterwards, he made available a pilot program to, you know, neighborhood groups who, who wanted to try them out. And some did. And they showed, you know, some results. In six months, they each killed about 100 rats. But, you know, when you look at how rats work at a biological level, that's really nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. So to speak, right? A rat rat in the bucket, so to speak. Um, Right. So, so, uh, Peter Sanzamichi, we are – and, you know, actually, if you can – talk up a little bit. Sometimes we can only like boost the volume uh, on our guests so far. So, uh, you know, sing it loud if you can. Um, so fast forwarding to today. So Eric Adams is no longer the Brooklyn borough president. Of course, he is the mayor, uh, you know, talking about this as being this p- 
potential solution to getting these rats off the street and that, you know, this was going to be a way to do it. So now, of course, it's 2022. Uh, Eric Adams is the mayor. But where do we stand on this this rat bucket problem that was going to help us, you know, maybe not get rid of all the rats, but at least to sort of cut into their numbers a little bit? Sure. So where it stands with the buckets, I'm not really sure. I couldn't really get an answer if it was going to be something that they were going to look into expanding the use of. But, you know, the approach to the problem is the same that the city has had for years, which is, you know, try to kill the rats with poison and then focus on individual, you know, behavioral issues, meaning, you know, people who aren't keeping their their trash tidy to try to solve it. But that does nothing to hit the underlying issue of why we have so many rats and why it's gotten so bad in the past couple of decades. If you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're speaking to Peter Sensamichi, who has written for uh, Brooklyn Patch about the city's rat problem. So, okay, so... You you raised the question, maybe you can help us answer it. Why has it gotten so bad in the past few decades? Did something change? Did the rats change? Did we change? Uh, yeah, it was something that we did that caused the rats to get so bad. And that's something I learned uh, by talking with uh, the, the man who's kind of considered the expert on uh, urban rats, this guy, Bobby Corrigan. Um, And he explained to me that there was a study done in 1971 where New York State did block-by-block surveys of all the, you know, major population centers in the state. And they determined that New York City only had uh, 11% of blocks uh, considered uh, to be infested with rats. Um, Coincidentally, a couple years before that, there was kind of the galvanizing moment that set us on the path towards Rat City. It was the 1968 uh, trash strike. Um, And basically what happened is over the nine days, the city ran out of cans to keep trash in, uh, you know, because it wasn't getting picked up and the trash was piling. And the city's health department basically uh, quickly changed their rules to allow the use of plastic bags, which had just been developed by, um, I think it was by Dow Chemical, and they had, you know, representatives on the street handing out free plastic bags, and uh, everybody loved it. You know, the bags weren't as heavy to lift, and the bags weren't loud when they got thrown to the ground after emptying them, and, you know, that was great for a lot of reasons, but who it was uh, the best news for was the rat, who now had easy access to as much food as they can eat for however long the bags are out. And as everybody knows, uh, by walking around the city at any time of day, there's just piles and piles and piles of these plastic bags that, you know, rats who, you know, they have pretty sharp teeth and they can gnaw through all sorts of stuff can easily rip open and scurry around and, uh, and eat to their heart's content. That's a, that, that's quite, quite, yeah. Quite an image there, quite an image. And, and, and that's a good point. So that was really, so that's very interesting for people who may not have known that, that there was an actual moment where the, the tide, the rat tide turned. It wasn't always, it wasn't always this way, so to speak. Yeah, it wasn't always this bad, um, which I found to be 
extremely interesting. And, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people who I talk to, um, you know, some people like to think that, you know, rats are kind of like a silly issue. But aside from them being very, very interesting, in my opinion, um, a lot of people will say this is like the number one issue for our community. Like people are scared of, you know, sitting on their stoops at night or, you know, I've, I've seen videos of people who are like, I couldn't go to the subway this morning to work because there were like a dozen rats just like running around outside the subway entrance. Um, right. So people want to people want to make light of it with like a, you know, oh, ha ha, the pizza rat video. It's like, I don't want to hang out with pizza rat. I don't want to I don't want to yeah, be no. neighbors with pizza rat or or, you know, taco rat or French fry rat. Like, I, I don't I don't need that guy in my life. Right. I mean, maybe those rats are cool, but, you know, there's probably, two, like you said earlier, two million other rats that might not be. Um, and the the issue with how the city is approaching the problem is that by trying to, you know, poison or dump in buckets and drown um, the rats, they're not really taking uh, the an, a, like a systemic upstream um, approach to solving this problem that doesn't need to be as bad as it is. And with the pandemic, uh, as I was saying, um, we've shifted, you know, our behavior so much from, you know, spending time in these commercial business districts to spending more time at home. And that's changed the amount of trash that we produce as well um, in residential areas. So because our patterns have changed, uh, the rats have followed those as well, just like they followed us uh, throughout our history. You know, they've always tailed right behind the human picking up our scraps and, you know, they can, they'll they continue to do so forever. Um, and there's no way we'll be able to get rid of all of them, but we can certainly uh, do our best to try to reduce uh, the populations and, you know, try to keep problems, uh, you know, as tamped down as possible. But that needs to come from, you know, uh, larger systemic changes and not trying to, you know, kill your way out of this problem. And I want to pause for one moment here, uh, Peter Sensamici, to talk about poison. You know, you, you talked about the, the sort of rat bucket trap method, but I know, and we're going to have people calling in later in the program. I know people are concerned about, uh, poison, having poison in our environment, being out there walking your dog. What if your dog grabs some of this poison or other animals and, and then it gets into the ecosystem? I, you know, any thoughts on, on how poison might or might not be an answer to this problem? Yeah. So, there's kind of two points there. The first is is that poison uh, is a major problem for anyone who might see a rat as a tasty treat. Uh, as we, you know, unfortunately found out, uh, forget if it was last summer or the summer before, but, you know, the beloved Central Park owl, Barry, um, was found to have consumed poison, which led to, uh, you know, kind of indirectly to its death. Um but, you know, when rats eat poison, you know, not only do they not die right away, but when they die, they don't just disappear. You know, they become they can become food for other animals. And then guess what? They've also consumed the poison. So it's definitely a larger environmental uh, issue using the poison. Um, but the other issue, too, is that you just can't kill the rats faster than they can reproduce. Um, it's just not possible. They're kind of God's perfect creature in that way. Um, 
And the only way to reduce the carrying capacity of any environment uh, for the rat is to reduce the amount of food it has access to. And you mentioned in your story that uh, composting actually might play some sort of role here. Tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about that. Totally. And, you know, the sanitation department, they have a number of composting pilots that are operating right now that are really interesting. Um, But, you know, basically the idea of composting is to separate organics, which other people uh, know as food, um, from the regular trash stream. And by doing that, not only does it have, you know, the various environmental benefits, but it also uh, reduces the amount of food waste that rats have access to. Um, Because I believe typically most of the compost in the city, they're kept in, you know, rat-proof bins or it's collected rather immediately. uh, And it's not, you know, anything to get food out of the plastic bags that sit out overnight for, you know, 10, 12, 15 hours. And, you know, I've heard from people who said during the pandemic, their trash bags would sit out for multiple days because of uh, sanitation cuts. Um, So anything to get food out of those bags uh, is great. And sanitation is even looking at getting those bags off the street with some uh, containerization pilots as well. Because I was I was wondering, you know, does this mean I can understand why people didn't love the idea of uh, noisy metal trash cans and banging and and racket at night when there are pickups and so on. But is that is that something that New Yorkers are going to have to deal with if they don't want to deal with a massive surge in the rat population? Well, there's definitely, you know, other cities have more modern methods of dealing with uh, containerization. Um I know that a lot of, uh, you know, urbanists and people who think about uh, these problems, they like to point out um, the large containers that a lot of cities in Europe, like Barcelona, have. And there are definitely solutions um, to the plastic bag issue. Uh, but like one of the experts I spoke to for my story said, you know, the question is, does somebody want to take on that uh financial cost um, to uh, that taxpayers will have to bear, and do they want to take on the uh, whatever political costs and the political heat that there might be in making these giant changes, uh, which we know come with any change uh, that we that happens in the city. And I do want to, as as we're winding down here, and I, I could definitely talk about this more, and, and I would like to, but you know, I do want to make that point that um, – you know, for families, for people with kids, people with uh, pets and so on, like this isn't this isn't sort of just a, a cosmetic issue. This is something that is uh, affecting people. And, and I talk about this in an interview we're going to have a little bit later here on the program. But I remember just standing there one day staring at what appeared to be and I think you used the phrase a rat reservoir in your story, but some sort of a nest or a mm-hmm. colony or something. And it was like right on top of the playground at Tompkins Square Park where little kids mm-hmm. are going on the slide. I mean, you, I don't, you know, again, I, I just wonder if you can sort of hammer this home that this is not something that this is sort of a silly thing or that it's something that just doesn't look nice. This actually affects people's quality of life in the city. And it, it directly affects their health too. You know, there is somebody in, I think it was 2017 or so who died from uh never going to say this right, uh, I think blastopariasis from uh, a rodent, which is contracted through urine. And there were dogs who 
uh, were falling ill and dying in um, in McCarran Park in, in Williamsburg recently. And, uh, you know, there's even been some some kind of early evidence that uh, there's a scientific preprint article, which means it's not peer reviewed. But, you know, they kind of speculate, oh, since there are covid variants um, that are spreading through contact transmission in laboratory mice, uh, then they, they're kind of jumping to the conclusion that surely wild rodent populations could potentially be a future reservoir for a future COVID variant. And on top of that, with climate change, our, our winters are growing, you know, warmer and shorter, and that's typically a period of, you know, lesser activity for rodents. And as that cold period is reduced, uh, rats are just going to have more time to feed, more time to breed, and they will grow worse. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty serious issue, um, and it's you know it's better to, uh, to start thinking about how to approach this problem and not just brush it off as, like you said, uh, something that's purely a, an aesthetic issue. And and then finally. Um you know, based on your reporting and talking to experts and, and talking to people who are involved in this, do you really think that there is at this point, uh, substantial, uh, substantial effort or a substantial likelihood that this is going to get better anytime soon? Or are people generally more talking about it and complaining about it, but not really changing the way we live enough to, to affect the, the rat population? Well, I will say it's pretty interesting to see um, that the sanitation department, uh, they are conducting various different pilot programs to change how they're approaching our waste stream. Like I said before, the containerization pilots are, are really interesting, and I think they've had, you know, some mixed results, but, you know, they are pilots. And I would be curious to learn their plans to try to scale that up um, and what that would look like. And if anyone, you know, has attended a community board meeting about, you know, installing, a, you know, city bike racks or, you know, putting in a bike lane or something, people are very, very, uh, you know, those could get it could get pretty contentious when you're talking about changing anything um, in the city. So I'm, it, it would require a pretty big, big lift uh, uh, from any elected politician. Um, but it's it is good to see there is some. Uh, probing at this problem, uh, you know, because in addition to rats, you know, just having the trash in general is, has been a long, long been a major problem of the city. Um, so it's, uh, I think there are some signs, um, but I'd like to, I'd like to see uh, the scale uh, increased and, you know, with, with some urgency. Peter Sanzamichi, if people want to find out more about you and your reporting on this issue and uh, other issues affecting the city, where can they look for you? Sure. They can find my reporting at uh, patch.com or uh, they can follow me on Twitter at uh, PSENZA. Peter Sanzamichi of Brooklyn Patch, thank you so much for your good reporting on this and on many other issues. We hope to have you back on the program for an update in the future. Great. Happy to talk rats anytime. Thanks so much. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks a lot. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Jeff Simmons is off today, but he will be back with us soon. So if you're just tuning in, our topic today is the rat problem in New York. We heard a moment ago uh, from Peter Senzamichi of Brooklyn Patch, who's done some digging into this, talked about a lot of things, um, the health issues associated with this, efforts that have been more or less successful, the dangers of poison, getting poison into our ecosystem as a method of controlling the rat population, and what we have to change about ourselves and how we live and how we function uh, in order to not be maybe the uh, the greatest city in the world from a rat's point of view. So just want to take one more moment, as always, to remind you that in order to keep bringing you conversations about our city, our health, our safety, how we live, we need your help. Please take just a couple of minutes today to go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you possibly can to support this radio station. You can even become a BAI buddy in the name of this program, Driving Forces, and you can make a recurring donation to help keep free speech radio alive in New York. That's WBAI.org. Don't forget, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift is tax deductible. It costs us $17,000 a month. I always like to sort of pause and think about this. $17,000 a month just to keep our signal alive. $17,000 a month is what we pay in rent on our broadcast tower at four times square. So the truth is, I'm telling you this now because it's an alternative, and I think a good alternative to us barraging you with endless commercials like other radio stations and TV stations, or even websites that you may use and look at on a daily basis. We do not get big money from big corporations. In fact, many people here at the station, including myself and my co-host, Jeff Simmons, we are volunteers. We give our time because we care about New York, and we think New Yorkers deserve free speech, community Radio. So please take a moment to go to WBAI.org and support this station. You can give in any amount you choose. $25 would be great. $50 a month would be great. Uh, even more if you can possibly manage it. Please chip in. Go to WBAI.org today and lend a hand. That's WBAI.org. So you're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We just spoke a few minutes ago with Peter Senzamichi of Brooklyn Patch about his reporting on the city's rat problem and how it is or isn't getting fixed. So now we're going to turn to something a little bit different. This is a chat I just had with a man named Richard Reynolds, and he runs a group called the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society. And of course, that gives them the acronym RATS. And Mr. Reynolds and his associates have this kind of unique hobby, which is they go out into the city at night with packs of trained dogs, mostly terriers, but other kinds of dogs, too, and they hunt down rats. Now, this is not a full-scale solution to the city's rat problem by any means, and it's not for everybody or even for every dog, but it is a group of people who are in their own way doing their part to put a dent in the rat population without traps, without poison, without any of that stuff. So I had a great time talking to him, and I hope you'll enjoy learning more about what these men, women, and of course these dogs do. Let's take a listen to that segment now. 
Thank you so much, Mr. Reynolds, for joining us today. So tell us, what is the name of your organization and how did this all get started? First of all, we don't have an organization, and that's really the beauty of the whole thing. There's no club, there's no corporation, there's no uh, infrastructure. We have no officers, no constitution, no bylaws, no rules of engagement. But the name of this loosely collected band is the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society. That's uh, very uh, disingenuously uh, enables us to parse the acronym RATS, by which we're more commonly known. We've been around a few years, and uh, all of the people who participate, uh, all our dog nuts from other uh, walks of life who come together to let their dogs do what most of them were actually initially bred for, and that's managing vermin. So that's the story in a nutshell. Oh, it's it's a good one. And you say you've been doing this for a few years, from what I understand from reading uh, a little bit about you. I think it's been more than a few years, right? When did you actually get started in this in this activity, sport? What should I even call it? Well, like. Everything else, uh, the answer that you're going to get is is fairly indefinite. But uh, I think we've been at it for about 32 or 33 years at this point. Uh, it could be more, but it's not less. If nothing else, we have a certain amount of longevity. And what made you decide that this was something that you wanted to do for yourself, for your animals, against the rats, for the well-being of the general public? What was your impetus in all this? I have no social mission whatsoever. We actually kind of like rats. We to tell the truth. We breed rats to, to train the dogs. And they're, they're very well cared for. They're not killed. They're, they're, they're used for training. Uh, and they're a hybrid breed. They're half wild and half domestic. So we're, we're very partial to rats, but, uh, just like humans, there's, there's, uh, a, a, a few bad seeds in the, uh, the apple barrel that, that, uh, kind of have to go. But, uh, we all started this from a, uh, a basic love of dogs and, Part of preserving the nature of a purebred dog is preserving its job function because that directly relates to the way the dog appears and is built and so forth. The majority of our dogs are terriers, uh, and uh, they're, they're built to hunt. Some of them are hardwired mentally to the point where they have to hunt in order to exist. The, the harder terriers are... Uh, a joy to hunt over and a real nightmare to keep uh, in a kennel, uh, particularly if they don't hunt. So the whole mission is, is about the dogs and giving the dogs the opportunity to uh, live their destiny, if, if you will. If we clean up a few rats along the way and make mankind uh, a little bit happier, uh, so be it. And I know we have we have some really deep ties with the folks that live in the neighborhoods we hunt in, and we, we value those ties. We like to go see them, and, and that ranges from the homeless in the alleys to the uh, 
millionaires in their penthouses on the Upper East Side who just happened to acquire a visiting rat uh, were there to serve them all. Tell me about, say, when your your group gets together, where do you go and how does the the afternoon or the evening or the session unfold? Well, we hunt at night for the simple reason that rats are active at night. Uh, we hunt mostly on Friday nights because most of us have to get up and go to work in the morning. And Saturday follows uh, Friday night. And, and most of us aren't worth much on Saturday. You won't find many of our people running around on Saturday. They're, they're kind of sleeping in. But we limit our group on the street to eight dogs. Any more than that creates a circus. And any less isn't as efficient as we would like to have it. So we try for eight dogs, and uh, we meet at a location that's really determined by the public. We get requests to come and hunt through our Facebook page and through by email, and we try to get to every one of them. Every call we get, we at least send a, an emissary out, a scout, to see if it's possible. Uh, and we try to help. We can't always do it. But we meet at 10 o'clock, and we go out and see if we can find some rats, and uh Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. What kind of places do people ask you to come to? I think that most of us New Yorkers have seen a rat scurrying around the garbage. I remember seeing a particularly, in my case, particularly disturbing sort of nest or colony or something right near a playground uh, near Tompkins Square Park. But uh, what are the types of places that you you bring your uh, your animals to? Thompson Square Park, it's a mecca for rats. And the reason for that is because it's heavily used by the public. And particularly down in the south end of the park, there's some wonderful tables down there uh, where you can sit and play chess and you can eat your sandwich or uh, perhaps you could have a beer. Well, you can't in a city park, but some sneaks in anyway. It's like the rats, you know. But there's garbage there. And where there's garbage, you're going to have rats. It's plain and simple. Rats in New York require three things. They require food, they require shelter, and they require water. And if you disturb any one of the three, the rats will move somewhere else. And that's... That's the reason that we are uh, kind of flexible in where we hunt. Uh, the rats move across the city uh, in kind of in, in kind of waves. If you disturb the the balance, they're going to move, and we try to follow them. We're speaking to Richard Reynolds, who is uh, for many years been uh, working to train or let dogs live their their best lives, the lives they were meant to live by hunting rats around New York City. Now, Mr. Reynolds, when you get this group of uh, approximately eight dogs and their owners together, I mean, are the dogs let off the leash? I've seen some pictures of dogs around trash cans, maybe peeking in a dumpster. I mean, how does this actually work? The dogs are actually very well-trained, okay? People see these dogs, and they picture them running through the city the same way they picture rats the size of cats. Uh, if you can bring me a rat the size of a cat, my friend in Illinois will give you $10,000. 
In fact, it doesn't even have to be the size of a cat. It can be two pounds. Uh, and he hasn't given away his $10,000 yet. But if you should come uh, across a, uh, a two-pound rat, contact Robert Corrigan in Illinois, and he will uh, pay up on his bounty, I'm sure. But the dogs are very, very seldom let off their leash. And then only when it's safe. An alley that's surrounded on three sides is safe. Anything else probably isn't. So the dogs work on leads, but you don't see the leads when they're working because they move very quickly. And some, the, the more experienced the dog, the longer the leads. And some of the chase dogs may be let off lead, but we know exactly where they're going to go and how we're going to get them back. So it's a safety issue uh, as well as a, uh, a strategy issue. We use two different types of dogs, and usually the dog itself picks out what it wants to be. Uh, it can be a push dog, which goes into the trash or into the dumpster, actually, sometimes physically, and forces the rat to bolt, to run. And then we have catch dogs that stand off a few feet, 25 or 30 feet from where the action is, and they catch the rats on the run as they're uh, running home. So everybody has a job, and everybody uh, more or less takes up a strategic location, and it, it, it's best termed controlled mayhem. When, when it gets busy, it gets busy. Some nights are tediously boring. We had one of the worst nights of our 30-some-odd years last week where for Several hours of trying, we only saw four rats and only got one of those four. So it's not all, uh, it's not all high volume rat control. Sometimes there's a lot of, uh, looking going on, but, but that's why they call it hunting and not, uh, catching. <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, you know, I was wondering during the pandemic versus before or since you know, sort of the height of the pandemic when maybe uh, garbage collection was interrupted or people were not making as much garbage, leaving it out on the streets like in parks, you know, how your activity levels rose and fell. Well, you've got a pregnant pause in there. Uh, you, you have to understand the nature of the beast. Uh, rat mathematics, uh, a rat, a doe rat comes into season every three days. And she can get bread and will get bread during that three days. Uh, the gestation period is 23 days. The average litter is 10 to 12 with uh, a baseline mortality of about 10%. They reach sexual maturity at five weeks of age, and the whole process starts all over again. So that's the bad news. The good news is that their reproductive cycle is somewhat dependent on the availability of food and the temperature and the environmental surroundings. So in the wintertime, they don't breed as much. They don't hibernate, but they, they just don't breed as much because not so many of them would live. A few years ago, we did a uh, project with Fordham University uh, to identify the types of rats and the families of rats that we have living in, in Manhattan and identifying the rat reservoirs. Rats are bred 
primarily in collections, one of which you may have seen, you just mentioned, and there's not enough food there to support the the population that's bred, so they do move out. But uh, thanks to the brilliant minds of Fordham University, we can now identify an uptown rat and distinguish it from a downtown rat. So even in, in rodents, we have a social status. I don't know if the uptown rats consider themselves superior or not, but uh, we certainly <laughs> can identify them when we find them. So just a, a couple more questions here before I very sadly let you go, because this is fascinating and I could definitely talk about this more. It sort of makes rats less horrifying than I think most people believe they are. I mean, well, there's a question for you. Do you find rats scary or disgusting or do you find them charming? What do you think of the rats themselves? I like them. Most uh, most New Yorkers, I would imagine, would probably not agree with you. Why do you like them? Well, I've, I've, I've bred rats for a lot of years uh, for, for training in the dogs and uh, we value these rats. Uh, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not pets by any means, but they're not disposable either. They live far longer than their wild relatives, and they get better care. They get three squares a day, uh, and, and they get shelter, and they clean bedding, and they, you have to work a couple days a week. You sit in a cage and let the dogs bark at you, and uh, that doesn't bother them very much. And uh, then they go back to the good life until the next training session comes along. So we always have a wild rat that we breed from who is always known as uh, Papa Ratsy. Uh, sorry for the assault on the media to liken it to a rodent, but whatever. I've heard worse. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. No, we, we, we think rats are good. Uh, rats, in the proper time and place... Are wonderful. We have one of our supporters who has been out hunting with us who keeps rats in her living room for a pet and she knits them little hammocks and she sings them lullabies at night. And I said, well, how do you justify going out with a dog and killing a few dozen rats when you keep them for a pet? And she was the one who told me that there's a time and place for everything and everybody. Rats in your living room as pets may be good. Rats in your uh, bathtub or uh, coming up through your toilet are probably bad. They're, 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 it depends on the circumstances. I'm, I'm definitely going to mark down rats in my bathtub as bad, and and I will try to avoid that in the future. So for, for anybody who might be listening to this, and I understand this is not sort of like an official extermination program. It's more about the dogs than about eradicating huge numbers of rats. I have a dog. Uh, I have a dachshund, which, as you probably know, is taken from the German for badger dog. It was originally uh, a hunting breed. It's, it's sort of built for that, you know, for that uh, purpose. But I don't know. I think, you know, he hunts up a milk bone occasionally and mostly just lies around looking good, which is his job. How do uh, people who are listening know if their dog might be destined to be a rat hunter? Bring them out and try them. <laughs> uh, within reason, we welcome everybody. We we provided we have a training facility down in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is uh, in the southern part of the state, and we have training days. In fact, one of them is on Friday, where you can come, you can bring your dog, you can uh, 
participate in the basic training that, that rat terriers get. And, oh, some dogs are hopeless. And uh, after a couple of tries, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to tell you that. Uh, other dogs, uh, takes a while for the light to go on, but they eventually come. And some dogs are, are hardwired and it's just natural for them. So, But every dog enjoys the day out in the country and the chance to bark at the rats and uh, all of those things. And, and, and the people are nice, too. We're, we're, we're kind of social animals ourselves. So become a rat hunter and uh, be a social climber, you know. <laughs> So on that note, if people want to find out more about you and your work and uh, your associates, human and canine alike, where can they look? Central Point is our Facebook page, which you can find at R period, A period, T period, S period. And that will let you in on the exploits. And if you hook up with one of our people, we'll get to you and we'll invite you down to... Uh, Bark at the rats a little bit and have lunch. We get to know you. We, we, we hope everybody will try at least once. I mean, you, you owe it to your dog to do that. I certainly appreciate the time. Hope people will check you out. And uh, until then, uh, Mr. Reynolds, happy hunting. Thank you. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and that was my talk yesterday with Richard Reynolds, who is a dog and apparently rat enthusiast. He's the founder of the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society, or RATS, which gets dog owners together to hunt down rats in the streets of New York. So if you like what you're hearing here on Driving Forces, if you think it's important to have a radio station that gets beyond the headlines and the sound bites, you can become a BAI buddy in the name of this program. Just go to WBAI.org. Your help keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. So in the very, very little time that we have left, we are going to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Seven, seven. What do you think it would take to fix the city's rat problem? 212-209-2877. Remember, you can always go to WBAI.org and give generously to support this station. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We'll be right back. You know it's cruel. Out here in this rat race, there's just one rule. Out here in this rat race, out here in this jungle, you gotta fight for not your eye. In this steel and concrete jungle, you gotta fight to stay alive. It's a rat race. You know it's me. Yes, it is. Out here in this rat race, you can't stay clean. No, no. Out here in this rat race, if you don't wanna stop, you know you gotta be like a hawk. There's no such thing as friendship. Out here is doggy dog. It's a rat race. 
I get the feeling that it isn't worth it, but when I see my woman standing there with my kids, look out, just standing by. The Drifters here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We have a very, very quick call segment. Sorry, the uh, the program was so full of rat information and rat news today. We're going to go right to the phones. Keep it brief. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Howard from Scarsdale. What's on your mind, Howard? Yes, um... Well, it's a matter of ecological balance. There's many invasive species now that humans have brought from other parts of the world, like the lanternfly is another one, but they don't have any predators. Um, Rats do. So I don't know if it's possible to import some type of carnivore, maybe a ferret or some ferrets or something. I don't know. But without predators in the environment, you know, hunting them down, it can be very hard to eliminate them. That's a that's a great point. Thank you, Howard, for your call. And yeah, we were just as as you know, we were just speaking to the head of rats, the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society. I guess the dogs are the predators in this case. But an interesting idea. Uh, I'm not sure what you could release out into the streets of New York that would be just interested in rats. There's uh, dogs out there. There's cats. There's birds. There's lots of stuff going on. But interesting idea. Something to think about. I believe we may have time for one more call. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Rachel, calling from the Bronx. I just have an observation and sure. I have a question. Okay. I wanted to know what, what was the point of the man collecting the rats. Okay, he says he breeds them, but breeds them and keeps them around. What, what was that about? Well, I think what he was saying is that he breeds them for the purpose of training the dogs that go out into the street. You know, if you just have your regular dog, like my oh, dog, who mostly just hangs out, you know, is not really sure. Okay. Uh, and and you know. number two, um, I have a home for since 1977, and I have never bought any of those black bags. I take my, my, my recycle things and put them in the recycle bins and then put the um, paper in the paper bins and the garbage man comes and picks them up. And I have never bought black bags. And if we could all do that, um, we would help our environment. And the foods should remain with the foods and the foods only. They do it in Korea. They do it in South Korea. And I think they take those full bins of food and I believe they take them to the countries and fertilize whatever they need to fertilize. But we need to stop with those black plastic bags all over the city. And that's helping this climate change and this miserable situation. So we don't have to take cardboard boxes and put them in plastic bags to, you know, to have the garbage people pick them up. In Mount Vernon, they don't do that. They just break the cardboard boxes down, and they get picked up. And so that's just my contribution. 
Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your call. And yeah, I think that our, our takeaway from all this is that uh, whatever it ends up being, we probably need to have some sort of a shift in our mindset. Uh, things are are not uh, are, are not going to work out for us if we just keep doing what we're doing, if we don't change our ways, if we don't think about how we create, generate garbage and how we store it until it can be taken away. And then uh, again, of course, where it goes. So lots of good things to talk about. Thank you so much for uh, your calls. Wish we could get to more calls today, but we are coming into the stretch of today's program. want to thank our special guests, Peter Senzamichi of Patch and Richard Reynolds of the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society, or RATS. Uh, thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Good news is that our wonderful, fantacula, uh, fantastic, miraculous, fallen all over myself to say how great this guy is, Jeff Simmons, that guy, will be back here on Driving Forces next Thursday. The bad news is I won't be here, but Jeff will take good care of you with a great show, including a talk with Jonathan Bowles, the executive director of the Center for an Urban Future. They'll be discussing a new report featuring 150 New York-based leaders and national experts with ideas for how to create a more equitable New York City. Jeff wants to hear your ideas, too, so make sure to call in. Also, tune in to City Watch here on WBAI 10 a.m. Sunday, when host David Brand will speak to Diane Yentl, the head of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, right off her recent trip to the White House. David's also going to be talking with the journalists behind the new website, Hell Gate, a worker-owned news organization following in the footsteps of New York City's alt-weeklies. One last quick reminder, your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive at WBAI all year round is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support this station. That's WBAI.org. If you missed any part of the program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces on Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and that's it for this edition of Driving Forces. Now keep it tuned to WBAI for more great programs. Programming. Thank you and see you on the radio. When you 